He has one of podcasting's richest deals, but just how much is it going to cost him? Yes, this week on Download This Show, the macho American podcaster Joe Rogan has one of the priciest exclusive licensing arrangements in the world with the music streaming service Spotify. But after his show played host to COVID misinformation, Spotify is now facing a major backlash from without, but also from within. Plus, Apple moves to stop stalkers, but is it enough? And TikTok take on Holocaust deniers. All of that and much more coming up. This is your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. My name is Mark Fennell and welcome to Download This Show. Yes, indeed. It is a brand new episode of Download This Show. Our guest this week, he is the co-founder of NGNY and Indigitech, Liam Ridgway. Welcome back to Download This Show. Thank you. Great to be here. And she is from the Queens of the Drone Age podcast and the global reviews editor at finder.com.au. Tegan Jones, welcome back. I am so excited to be back. So, uh, very big news in the world of podcasting. Um, Some people will be familiar with uh, the podcaster Joe Rogan former host of Fear Factor, uh, who has gotten Spotify into all kinds of trouble. Tegan, walk me through exactly what's transpired here. Yeah, so uh, a little bit of uh, casual drama over at Spotify. Um, So basically what has happened is over the last couple of years, we've seen Joe Rogan say some controversial, absolutely not correct information when it comes to COVID-19. So things like healthy young people don't need a COVID vaccine. Uh, And then most recently that... uh, Uh, myocarditis risk is higher from vaccines than from COVID. And that has basically uh, resulted in musician Neil Young penning a now deleted open letter to Spotify saying that he'd be taking his music off the streaming service and other creators and podcasters and musicians have followed suit since then. So are you surprised about the reaction, Liam? Because it's not just, I mean, there's Neil Young, there's been a whole host of musical artists and also other podcasters as well. Were you surprised at the reaction to this? I'm actually not surprised, I guess, considering the um, the sentiment um, over the past few years with regards to, um, you know, COVID information and or misinformation as well. And just the, I guess, if you look at kind of both sides of the fence, there's a, there's a bigger battle um, just outside of the podcast side of, uh, of things at the moment and looking beyond even COVID as well. There's there's, there's quite big movements and disparities in views. And so you have uh, these kind of values that, are, that people are sitting on kind of both sides of the fence. And, um, and then so this just happens to be one of the mediums at the moment using Spotify and Joe Rogan where you have this, um, this disparity and then you have these kind of disagreements and argy-bargy. Uh, and, you know, and then obviously the resulting like, well, I'm going to leave your platform now and don't want anything to do with it unless you make uh, certain changes um, that society different sides of society are kind of looking at and saying, well, I want, I want a little bit of this in column A and others, the other side of society saying, well, I want a little bit of this in column B. So I think it's mm. not surprising given the, the current circumstances of just global politics. There's a lot of ways to judge success or failure of, of a particular moment in the history of a company. So we've also seen a few high-profile podcasters, so like Brene Brown, the I'm going to call her like a self-help guru for lack of a better term, has also said that, and she has a, an exclusive deal with Spotify. She said she was pausing her episodes. Are you surprised by the reaction from, I guess, uh, other podcasters taken to, to this event? 
No, I'm not surprised at all. Um, actually, just before uh, we started recording Science Versus, which is a huge science podcast out there, also put out a statement um, in regards to uh, leaving the platform or at least pausing uh, their involvement on the platform for similar reasons to others that are doing the same. They don't want to be involved in the spread of misinformation and Spotify and Joe Rogan are both equally such big platforms and it is so easy to get information out there with out any verification. So I, I really can't blame them for not wanting to be associated with that. That's an interesting one because Science Versus is produced by Gimlet Media who are owned by Spotify. That's that's quite a big thing for them. Absolutely. Like that makes it huge. It's really like uh, telling mummy that, you're, that you're, you know, you're leaving home or something or that you're going to run away. Liam, do you think this response from other podcasters, from musicians, do you think it will last or will eventually they'll just go back to Spotify? I think um, there will be elements of that at last. So I guess it depends on how you kind of, um, how you kind of look at it, right? And so that you you have you'll have people who, um, because what I think is going to happen is I think Spotify will get to this point where they'll try to appease both both sides um, or both um, sides of the fence essentially. But what I think is that um, you'll have people who are like, well, no, I I need you 100% to come over my side, and then the other half will be saying the exact same thing. So I, I don't think that'll um, ever truly resolve um, uh, when you kind of look at it from that um, jurist perspective. But I do think that overall it will be resolved to a degree because I think, again, as I said before, with Spotify looking to, to I guess, try to rectify this, um, you know, because I guess their ultimate goal is, is to make sure that they've got users from both sides of the fence, that they've got some and listeners from both sides of the fence as well as content creators. So I think that they'll take the actions that they need to in order to get those users back so that they're able to look at their, you know, their bottom line essentially because at the end of the day, listeners and content creators uh, creates essentially that financial vehicle that they're, going to be wanting to rectify. Exactly, Liam. We've already seen Spotify playing both sides of the fence when uh, the CEO, Daniel Elk, basically put out a statement refusing to condemn Rogan and basically just said, to our very core, we believe in listening to everything. Uh, But at the same time, uh, they put out new platform rules saying things like they want to assert that AIDS, COVID-19, cancer or other serious life-threatening diseases are a hoax or not real, that they would be trying to target that misinformation being put out on this platform. So they're definitely playing both sides yeah they're, they're definitely playing the safe card because again for them it's about how do i how do we skirt, skirt the lines essentially to not um impact again our user base which then ultimately is their the financial um, side of things and you know I, I i don't know what they're thinking of when they think think of this but there is certainly a huge element which is that that kind of financial base and to be honest i think that this will end up being relatively the norm over the the coming years given the way that we kind of look at again differing political views, um, perceptions and values um, within the world. And so then you're just going to have this kind of norm of, um, of ideologies and the battle of, of those essentially. And, you know, I mean, I, I guess I'm not going to talk about it from my personal opinion because, you know, that's not necessarily what it's entirely about. But, I, you know, I do certainly um, have more views of one side, um, you know, but also I understand both views and keep that kind of open mind as well. But I just do think that this will become the norm at least, you know, for the, for the next decade. I mean, out of curiosity, though, that, that, that statement that was put out by, by Spotify, um, where they were trying to kind of appease both ends, I'd be, I would genuinely be curious what, what you make of it, Tegan and, and, and Liam. Like, I'll start with you, Tegan. Like, the statement is very, I'm going to use the word diplomatic for lack of a better term, but, like, how, do you think it'll actually work to solve the issues at all? 
I don't think that this will necessarily work to solve the issues, uh, except for outside of just waiting for complacency to set in. And by that, I mean, we might have a couple of weeks of uh, users maybe being outraged. We might have some people that will leave the platform um, from a user perspective. But at the end of the day, Spotify's strength is that it has this big user base, it has convenience, and it puts out stuff that people like, like the yearly wraps. It has people's playlists in there. So what I would be more likely to... But what I would more likely uh, assume will happen is that people will just get past the issue and just go back to using the thing that works easily for them. Totally. Although it's been interesting seeing people share on social media over the last week exactly how you would go about exporting your playlists and things like that from Spotify over to Apple Music or any of the others. And, I, and, and you know, one of the interesting things that happened last week is Apple Music got quite on the front foot about promoting themselves as the official home of Neil Young and things like that. I mean, <laughs> it, it isn't necessarily easy or simple, but it is actually possible, Tegan, to, to transfer some of your playlists from Spotify out, out to the other services, isn't it? Sure, absolutely. But how many people are actually going to bother doing it? Um, you'll definitely get uh, people who care way more about principles than they do about convenience. And that's awesome and good for them. But I just, I I work in an industry where pretty much I see every day how problematic most big tech companies are in some way. And it'll hit the news cycle and people will be outraged and then they'll fall back to the thing that is convenient for them. So I'd like to see people do better, but I just don't have a lot of confidence that we will (laughs) as a collective. Download this show is what you're listening to. It is your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. Our guest this week, Liam Ridgway, co-founder of NGNY and Indigitech and Tegan Jones from the Queens of the Drone Age podcast and global reviews editor at Finder. Uh, Mark Fennell is my name. And uh, interesting news this week involving Menulog. So Menulog had a plan that would have had a huge impact on the way uh, workers within the gig economy are paid. Liam, walk me through what happened. Absolutely. So essentially Menulog wanted to employ uh, many of its delivery riders as opposed to maintaining them as contractors. So they wanted to move on to employment, um, which Uber and Deliveries um, uh, still do in terms of the contracting side of things. Um, but one of the things that Manulog did in this time as well is they've trialed, uh, they've done a trial run of it. Um, so what they did was they argued the need for a new dedicated um, set of pay rules to do so um, on a large scale through this um, employment um, methodology or approach. Um, however, the industrial um, tribunal have ruled that Um, food delivery riders and drivers must be paid under the same rules as other truck and van couriers. Um, So for those that are um, employed and not contractor-based, essentially. Um, So it's it's quite an interesting um, space. And and one of the things that I really kind of think of is the importance of being able to explore uh, these opportunities to look at the way that we employ and create sustainable environments for employment, especially in what is essentially a high-risk space being uh, delivery, Um, you know, and uh, bike rider delivery especially. So what does this mean for the industry more broadly, right? So Menulog haven't been able to kind of shift this definition. What would it, what would have happened maybe is actually a better question, Tegan, if they'd succeeded? I think that if it succeeded, we well, what I would have liked to have seen happen is to have more of these workers that are more covered in a way that is relevant to their actual jobs. It's not the same as just being a truck driver, and I don't mean just being a truck driver in a diminishing way. It's just that it is a different 
job. So it would be good to see something that is a little bit more uniform in terms of being, you know, minimum wage or ideally above minimum wage and having protections. I know H&S and things that will actually protect them doing the things that they're doing in this more gig economy, food delivery, almost instantaneous job description. Completely agree with Tegan's view in regards to creating, a, you know, a gig economy that is that is inclusive and sustainable in in a way that um, we're looking at ways to to look um, to support couriers and you know employing them. And then you know if we look at this gig economy, particularly around um, you know food delivery, it's such a huge part of all of our lives, and it's become even bigger um, since um, COVID. And you know more people choosing not to go out and about and actually have things delivered to them. So it's really important, I think, that we do look after. Um, you know, our, our delivery um, people, whether they're food delivery or any other type of delivery. And I think it's critical that we find sustainable long-term uh, methods of being able to, to support them in the job and work that they do. Liam, is there, are there things that you would like to see now? And I know I'm putting you on the spot a little bit here, but the, but in terms of like better support and, and putting better safety structures around, uh, you know, particularly drivers, delivery drivers, are there things that you think could be done now that would help support people in those roles? Yeah, so I think, I absolutely think that there is, um, there's more more awareness that needs to be, um, I guess, shared amongst, the, I guess, the um, the opportunities that um, having delivery um, drivers um, provides, but also the importance of demonstrating some of the challenges that they face in terms of um, they, they, because there's so many um, delivery drivers, especially riding bikes, there's, there's some people um, having accidents, going to hospital, some people passing away as well. I think that it's important for all of us to understand the, I guess, the nature of the, the job that they're doing and actually the risks that they're taking as well as delivery drivers to, to um, you know, deliver food um, to us to make things convenient and accessible. I think it's important that we really um, understand the nature of that and that we, we protect them because this is also a core part of our lives now is the convenience of having something delivered to, to your door. How about you, Tegan? Are there things that you think, I mean, given the, given that this change hasn't come through, are there things that should be done in its stead that would have a material impact on the lives of particularly, I guess I'm particularly thinking about drivers in this context? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that it's great that at least I'll be covered by something now in these specific circumstances, but it's not tailored to what the job actually is. So it really just feels like they're being tacked on to something that already exists without looking at it from this more modern perspective. As Liam said, we've been using these services increasingly more over the pandemic. More people are getting into it. So there needs to be more modern protections where we've had people actually sit down, talk to the drivers and actually work out what needs to be done to cover to cover them in a sustainable way. That being said, I do understand the point around part of the appeal of uh, these gig economy jobs is flexibility. So moving to mm. a, a more full-time or part-time employment platform could uh, create some issues with that. But that's why this needs to be treated as a separate thing to you know the regular protections around truck drivers. It's different. The, it's worth pointing out that this ruling isn't the end of the road for Menulog. They could still potentially convince the commission that there is space for like a new industry award that would work better for these particular jobs. Do you think that should be the next pathway through, Liam? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and even kind of extending on or um, highlighting a particular point around that, um, uh, I guess, the variation and particularly the point that Tegan was making around um, flexibility. So I think that the, this is very important in regards to continuing to pursue it, but to give people potentially the option as well to to have that flexibility to have more of a contract-based um, approach where they have flexibility of hours and those that then have also 
the desire to have more of an employment-based approach where they get to choose to become uh, classified more under the, uh, a new guideline of what employment looks like for, um, for Menulog. But I also do think the thing as well is that if Menulog do um, achieve success in some of the steps that they're taking to create these um, sustainable employment opportunities, I think that will also have a flow-on effect through to um, you know, some of the other providers like Uber and Deliveroo. Um, but also it, it'll start to span into some other areas as well um, where we have um, gig economy, um, you know, contractor versus employment approaches. I completely agree. I think that flexibility is key. That's not something that you want to take away from these workers. And I, I don't like the idea of them being pigeonholed into one or the other. So, yeah, I completely agree with Liam on this protections, but with those options in place. Download this show is what you're listening to. It is your guide to the week in media, technology and culture and Apple have actually updated their safety guide with regard to a particular device called an AirTag because there was huge concerns uh, about it potentially becoming unsafe for people being stalked, Tegan. Just before we get into what they've changed and what they've tweaked, what was the initial concern? How were people using these AirTags uh, to kind of... Um, how are AirTags potentially being used to stalk people in the first place? It's quite concerning. It's something that's been going on for about a year since they were first released. Basically, the way that AirTags work, it's similar to a tile, if you've heard of those before. It's essentially um, a little device that you can attach to, say, your keys or your wallet. So if you lose it, which that's something that I do a lot, you can find it through the <laughs> Find My app. Um, and you can also use it with Android as well. So it just means you can find your lost thing. But the problem with that is that it is really easy easy to say attach it to someone's car or slip it into their bag and then be used for those nefarious purposes. So what's happened is that you've had some people come out on social media and speaking to the media about how they've just been going about their daily business and had uh, basically a prompt come up on their phone saying, unknown accessory detected, this item has been moving with you for a while, um, the owner can see its location. So basically it's a built-in safety feature from Apple um, that will alert people if an AirTag has been travelling with them that isn't theirs. And importantly, it comes up on Android and on um, iPhones. Mm, that's interesting. So, Liam, is it enough? I think temporarily it's going to be enough until, uh, until uh, I guess, people who are looking to exploit this find another another pathway for it to be um, exploited. So I'm not sure how they'll exploit it, but I certainly think that um, they're, I guess, and I don't think Apple will, but I don't think they should rest their laurels on the user guide that they've, um, that they've created and some of the rules and the technology. I think they need to continually adapt it so that you know that they're always kind of keeping it one step ahead or at least staying uh, I guess on top of some of the the current issues that are that are being faced so um, because people always look to exploit these types of scenarios whenever they can I think that uh, this inbuilt prompt uh, that it has had since the beginning is quite good I also like it what's really important here is that it gives you uh, the person who has gotten this on their phone to turn off that AirTag tracking, that is key. Um, I think that's really good. But I, I really don't know about this uh, sort of new personal safety user guide. How many people are actually going to go and, and, and read that? It, it seems quite superfluous for me. It also seems like if you're someone that's being targeted by a stalker, it's a little late by the time you get the prompt to uh, be you know reading a user guide. So I think that... While Apple has taken quite good measures in terms of the actual tech that you can turn it off, get rid of it, you know, report it, I just I I can't see this stopping happening. It's just it's quite concerning. The other reason why somebody might buy 
something like an AirTag is I could kind of see why parents would buy it to attach to like kids' school bags and things like that. So there are going to be occasions where I guess it is used for a third party, I, not necessarily with nefarious aims. And I and I I guess I have a question in my mind about I as ever with this this technology. I was trying to take, like think two, three steps in the direction of like, how else could it be used against planned? Are there, are there sort of unintended consequences that you think should be acknowledged here, Liam, that, that, that haven't been talked about yet? Yeah, so I think I think that naturally there there will be some kind of, I guess, unintended consequences, I guess, you know, goes with um, a lot of things, especially in the kind of tech space when you, you know, kind of take, um, you know, I guess two steps forward, you know, then we end up taking kind of one step back because of, um, you know, some of the, I guess, legislations and policies around, um, uh, I guess, changes in technology and, and whatnot. Um, but I do think that um, what will end up happening is um, there will be uh, an improvement in the way that um, we look at, you know, various different um, policies, because now that we're using so much more technology to, you know, I guess, track our own movements or share our movements with, you know, targeted people, I think that they'll start to take uh, uh, policies and, and, you know, and government legislation will start to, to catch up, which obviously... You know, it takes quite a few years for, for, for government to catch up, but I do think that over time that we'll start to come up with some uh, better ways of being able to, um, I guess, support um, society and not having to, you know, have to deal with as many issues around um, some of the current day problems with relation to, like, the stalking and using technology. But again, as I was saying before, I think that there's always, um, there's always that gap with government being able to create policy and technology always changing and then people taking advantage of, those technologies to exploit them um, in potentially dangerous ways. Download this show is what you're listening to. It is your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. I guess this week, Liam Ridgway, co-founder of NGNY and Digitech. And if you're familiar with the Queens of the Drone Age podcast, you'll know our other voice, Tegan Jones. She's also Global Reviews Editor at Finder. And finally this week, very I guess it's an unusual story. It felt unusual to me when I first read it. So uh, TikTok is, of course, hugely popular uh, social media platform known for, you know, fast videos and algorithms that get to know you far too fast. Weird thing that happened um, is it turns out there's a whole bunch of Holocaust deniers on TikTok, which TikTok has had to address, Tegan. Uh, (laughs) Take me back to the beginning on this. How, How did this happen? Yeah, I mean, like with any social media platform, we we talked about it earlier in the episode, you're always going to get misinformation and misinformation spreading fast, especially with these newer social media platforms like TikTok, like like you said, Mark, has this extremely uh, aggressive algorithm, I would say, that uh, pushes certain content to you. So in this case, um, there was a slight rise in Holocaust denial uh, videos that were going out there around Holocaust Memorial Day as well. Um, And TikTok has basically taken some action on that. So now if you look up hashtags uh, like hashtag Holocaust, it'll bring up a facts about the Holocaust header above any video, basically prompting the viewer to consult trusted sources. And it also has a link out to the World Jewish Congress website, which is in partnership with UNESCO with more facts around the Holocaust. So honestly, this didn't surprise me too much. It just felt like the same stuff, but just on a new platform with a younger audience. <laughs> yes, but you see, I am perennially surprised and maybe that's why I do this show. I mean, I guess if anything, it kind of illuminates an issue with the speed at which the algorithm works. And, and look, you know, good on TikTok for kind of, kind of making changes and addressing it. 
Um, but I, I, when you have an algorithm that does, you know, to use Tegan's word, it is aggressive. It gets to know people really well, really fast, really scarily. It can create problems with kind of navigating incidences like this, can't it, Liam? Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, we have to be able to find that balance in being able to um, not, I guess, overreach. But then I guess when I use that term overreach, well, what is the defin- definition of overreach as you kind of progress through, um, you know, the, the days and times, uh, overreach becomes diminished to a certain degree because perceptions of the use of technology and how convenient it is, like we talked about earlier, um, becomes so much more um, pervasive within our lives. Yeah, and it kind of comes back to the the first topic as well with, with Spotify and Rogan, right, which is in effect we have... I mean, we didn't make it this way. They kind of made it this way. But social media companies have been put into this position where they are now the arbiters to some extent of truth. And it's a it's a mantle, Tegan, that I think it's safe to say they've worn uncomfortably. Uh, for the longest time, famously, Facebook was like insistent that they were not a media company. They were a technology company. And the job of mediating what is truth and what is not truth was not theirs. But I think the, you know, the, the boat has sailed on that one. And clearly now companies like Spotify and and TikTok recognise that they have a role to play in constructing truth, you know, constructing fact. Um, where, where do you stand, Tegan? Yeah, I find it really interesting. I think that this rise in social media platforms taking some responsibility probably has a lot to do with when legislation comes in, saying that they have to. Um, but I think that you really do have to when we're now living in an age where everyone's a publisher, right? Like you don't need to go and do a journalism degree or you know, do any kind of training to have access to people and access to an audience and a huge one, especially on TikTok, you can pop off and become viral so quickly. Um, And that does mean that, like Liam was saying, back to convenience, that so few people will search for verification of information that they're served up, especially by that algorithm, and let alone going to look for second sources or third or fourth sources. So I think this is exactly why, especially after we saw the downfall of Facebook to a certain degree around Cambridge Analytica and things like that a few years ago, that they have to take some responsibility uh, for this kind of spread of misinformation, especially when you get government regulators and the like involved. Liam, I'm interested to know... Because I guess you work with developers, is there a good philosophical way to think about when an app does have a responsibility to, to, to take a stand on issues and when it doesn't? We really look at it from the standpoint of how do we listen to um, uh, people out there and test concepts and ideas before we even launch anything just so that we know that we're not um, treading on toes and particularly being um, in the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander um, uh, sector as well. A huge part of that is around listening to um, our cultural protocols and understanding those, talking to communities, talking to elders as well, so that we're not uh, treading on toes. So this is certainly something that we, um, you know, do uh, on a daily basis when we're developing or building something. It is about how are people going to use it? How are we trying to get the most benefit out of it? How are we going to tackle the problem when it kind of, um, when it does appear? And making sure that um, that we're listening to those as we're building it, as opposed to having that reactive approach where um, when something does go wrong, that we're kind of, you know, uh, jump up and down to try and fix it and, you know, scramble to try and uh, make that, um, you know, repair that. 
I'd certainly like to see tech companies be less reactionary and uh, really, like you said, be more preemptive uh, about these issues. They're not new. They're just on new platforms. Like It's not like Holocaust denial is anything new. And as a historian who studied World War II history, they can't really be surprised that you've still got people apparently saying that six million people just, you know, definitely didn't die. Um, so <laughs> it's just... Um, I, I really do think when you have the amount of resources and the amount of influence that big tech have, that they do have a responsibility uh, when you're hosting people uh, to be preemptive about these issues that are absolutely not a surprise and nothing new. All right. We are out of time. That is the show for this week. Uh, huge thank you, Liam. No, and thank you for having me again. Liam Ridgway is the co-founder of NGNY and Indigitech. Tegan Jones, thanks for coming back on the show. Always a pleasure. Tegan Jones, uh, you can hear more of that voice on the Queens of the Drone Age podcast and also you can read more from her. She is the Global Reviews Editor at Finder. And with that, I shall leave you. My name's Mark Fennell. And thanks for listening to another episode of Download This Show.